with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. This is a very special crossover episode in which I hopped on with uh, WFAN's John Schmilk. Uh, So you'll be able to find this, uh, obviously, on the Knicks Film School Podcast, um, as well as his podcast. Go check him out on Twitter. Uh, Great Twitter feed. Uh, Always keeps the conversation interesting. So yeah, thanks for tuning in and um if you haven't already done so make sure you subscribe to the Knicks Film School newsletter um you could subscribe to that either there's a link in my Twitter feed um there's a link in the Nick Film School main account Twitter feed uh we're sending out newsletters every weekday with all kinds of good stuff in there so don't miss that and that is about it without further ado here is the podcast Hello, everybody. My name is John Schmelk, and welcome to a special edition of the Bank Shop Podcast. Why is it special? Well, it's because it's a joint podcast with the Knicks Film School, and we're joined by Jonathan Macri. John, how are you today? John, I'm I'm really good. I'm uh, happy that after a season of going back and forth on on Twitter with some uh, jovial banter, we're finally able to do this together. Um, and yes, so if you're listening to this, obviously. You can find it on on uh, either John's podcast or um, the Knicks Film School podcast, which were available on you know all your typical ways that you get podcasts. Absolutely, but, uh, yeah, happy to happy to be on. Yeah, same for us, folks. If you're listening on WFN.com, that's great. We appreciate it, but it's better for you and more convenient if you do it on one of the podcast platforms. Subscribe and of course leave a positive review for both podcasts if you like what you hear. If you don't, well then. Get the hell out of here. So <laughs> um, we've kind of had a few weeks, John, to kind of absorb. Not, not that we needed any more absorbing than we had during a torturous 82-game season, but kind of absorb. I think we got about as much absorption as we could take, I was yeah, about to say. Absolutely. So any additional thoughts as you've gotten some distance away from it and maybe you've watched some playoff basketball? My exposure has been limited, but I've watched as much as I can. Any additional thoughts about the year now that we've had some distance from the end of it? Um, my overarching thought, and I, I said this throughout the year, that I think, you know, when you're when you're kind of in the weeds of the season, you could forget the things that really, at the end of the day, matter. Um, and watching these games, you know, night after night, we're seeing the team that is able to hit shots win the game, and the team that's not able to hit shots uh, usually loses the game. Um, I forget what the exact record is at this point, but. I think the team that's hit more threes has won basically all of their playoff games. Um, wow. Or almost all the playoff games so far this season. And the Knicks are the worst shooting team in the league. So when you look at it from that perspective, I think for as much as, um, you know, we all had some complaints, and a lot of those were very valid complaints about a lot of the things that had to do with this team this year. Um, the fact is they were the worst shooting team in the league. They were the worst you know, effective field goal percentage, they didn't hit threes, you know, they weren't going to win a lot of games. So I think this was a good reminder that whoever they sign this summer, um, before next season, they better get some, some shooting on the floor. Yeah, look, they were bad because they were, frankly, one of the least talented teams in the league. I mean, it isn't a secret. Their best player was Tim Hardaway Jr., and they had to basically include their best player to get a team to take him. You know, Ennis Cantor was their second best player, statistically at least, and obviously we know his issues. We're not going to get into that again. But, you know, he was somebody that, again, somebody really didn't have a high priority on signing him once he became a free agent. So, you know, you're throwing out a bunch of kids, and before the year, uh, I wrote a story talking about the important things this year, and I don't even think wins was on the list. You know, wins didn't matter this year, but other stuff did. So I guess let's start with the coach. Because what we go back and forth on Twitter the most about is David Fisdale. I'm not gonna. I'll call you a sunny side of the street guy on David Fisdale. Is that a fair description, or should it be a little stronger than that? Yeah, no. If if you know, if there's the street, and then there's the sidewalks, and then there's you know buildings on either side of the sidewalk. I'm like, I have one foot on the sidewalk, one floor, like in that in that pro Fizz building. I I, I believe in him. Um, I believe, first and foremost, I think the Knicks needed to get in 
you know, somebody that had the type of personality that could withstand a year that, you know, like you said, we all knew this was going to be bad. Um, and we all knew wins were not, not going to come easily. So they needed to have a certain type of person who was going to be able to stand in front of the microphone day after day after day and just put a, a good face on this thing. I think he did that. I think he had a good face in the locker room. I mean, the other thought I've had since the end of the season is that, you know, players have, you know, at least what we've heard, been quoted and this and that. You know, guys seem to like him. They played hard for him. All that being said, um, I think even me, I would have liked to see some more um, growth from the team over the course of the year. I would have liked to see a, maybe a little more accountability with some of the guys that I'm sure we're going to get into that, that did not have um, a great year and did not seem to, to get better. So, yeah, I'm still on the plus side. I think, obviously, though, and we could, we'll probably say this several times today, um, we're not going to know the answer on Fizz until next season. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think you can take any final judgments out of this year because of the lack of talent and the process that they were kind of starting this year. And the way I'll put it, I think, and I'll use a war analogy here because I was a history minor in college, but, you know, I think the strategy part of it, overarching, you know, setting a tone, getting along with guys and being positive, I think all that was great. But I think if you get down to the tactical level of things, I think there were things that maybe you have concerns about. Like there were some substitution patterns. I know some people out there think, oh, the Knicks were tanking. Why are you worrying about this? Guys, I hate to tell you, David Fisdale was not trying to lose games, all right? He was trying oh, to win. And, and I don't think the organization yeah. was either, by no. the way. I don't think they, they attended to do this. No, I, I agree. Yeah. I, I think if the, the organization, if you gave him truth serum and that you said, look, if you won 30 games this year instead of 17 before the year, would you be happy? I think they would have said yes. You could argue whether or not – you would argue whether or not that's a good thing or not, but I think they would have answered the question that way. So you had some times at the end of these games, and I think it was the London game that stuck out to me, where the Knicks are up one late and they need a stop at the end of the game. And he has Tim Hardaway Jr. and Ennis Cantor on the floor. And it's just like, dude, what the hell are you doing? And other times with like substitution patterns. And, and I wonder sometimes why just the, the thoughts behind those tactical decisions. Because obviously the effect in the year, because the wins don't really matter, is not that big of a deal. He's not making or breaking the season with these decisions. But my worry is, Jonathan, that you go forward. And when these games start mattering, and those little micro decisions by a coach against a good team can be the difference between a win and a loss – is that some of the stuff that he's going to improve upon or figure out, or should we throw that stuff away too? And and that's the stuff that I'm kind of worried about. My my theory all year with stuff, and, and we saw those decisions, and even if you want to go a little bit bigger picture, you know, I mean, let's face it, Emmanuel Moutier um, continued to get minutes for this team throughout the entire year, and if you were looking at um, kind of the trend that he was headed, just as an example, he was getting worse not better, and yeah. yet he kept being in the floor. So what does that say to Fisdale? To me, if you're a glass-half-full guy like I am, it shows me that he's a guy who was putting his guys in position with, like where they could succeed, not necessarily where they were likely to succeed. And then I think that gets back to the question of, all right, what was the purpose of this year? Was the purpose of this year to, at the end of the game situation, put – the best five guys on the floor to try to win that game, or was it to put guys out there who, you know, um, as kind of a test to see, like, all right, I know this, you know, Tim, as you said, Tim Hardaway Jr., Cantor, maybe not the best guys you want on the floor to, to bring home a defensive possession, but you also don't want to send a message to those guys that, all right, we don't believe that you could get to the point where you could be someone on the floor we want there at the end of a defensive possession. Now, does that mean he's going to do it right going forward? I have no idea, <laughs> but that's where I lean on his pedigree and the fact that he comes from, you know, obviously a, a pretty good uh, coaching system down in Miami. He was able to do some nice things in Memphis. So, you know, it's an unknown. We, we simply don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, and I think it gets back to how he handled players, too, because you mentioned Moutier, and I think one thing Fisdale was good at is trying to instill confidence in players, right? I'll throw Frank yeah. Nielakina aside because I don't think he did well with him. But everybody else, I think he did a pretty good job of, all right, go be you, man. Go be your best self. Go play basketball that you want to play basketball, which is, you know, sounds great until you're trying to win games and then all of a sudden, well, maybe you should be coaching this guy harder to improve at the things he's bad at and maybe holding him accountable for the things he's bad at. And I don't know if that 
style was simply because of the year and the team and the players? Or even when this team gets better, is he going to be like, ah, Manuel Moutier, yeah, you know, you're, you're being aggressive. It's all right if you fall down every third possession. It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. So I think that's and, – and I think it goes back to the first question that, that we talked about a little bit, that is that going to change when the team gets better? And I think the interesting question there is, is there – because I think what we saw this year – to a certain extent, was a little bit of a double standard. Um, you know, sure. Mark Berman had the piece that came out last week about how Tree, you know, some of the, the veterans were a little upset that Trier essentially got, you know, um, a, a free reign to do whatever he wanted on offense. We saw repeatedly Kevin Knox. You know, if he wasn't the worst NBA player this year, he was in the conversation sure. for the worst worst guys in the league, and yet he kept putting him out there. Again, you could have a glass half full perspective and say the guys were playing with with effort, which I think they were. I think Trier, it's been noted, he's he's a very competitive guy, which is something they wanted on the floor. But on the other hand, you know they were doing things which are obviously not conducive to to winning basketball games. So next year, if the team, and I guess we'll get into this in a bit, if the team has a successful summer, is there still going to be that allowance for the younger players to kind of go out there? Um, and make mistakes, and then just as a larger issue, I don't, I, I don't think anybody really knows for sure whether letting a guy like Kevin Knox and play however you know go out there and play however many minutes he played this season, two thousand whatever, is that definitely the best method, or should there be more of a balance between letting the guy work it out to a certain extent? But also knowing when to to pull back the reins, and it, you know, I said we're going to say it several times throughout this podcast. We're not going to know the answer to that question until at least next year, if not longer. Yeah, look, you're you're right. Um, let's get to some of the young guys because then we can look ahead with them and the team itself. And we'll start with Kevin Knox. And look, it should be no surprise that he struggled this year. He was 19. He was a very unfinished product coming out of Kentucky. What worries me about him, and I'd like to get your take on it too, is that the stuff that I was worried about coming out of Kentucky is exactly the stuff that he was bad at in in his first year in the NBA. I think we can both agree. He, the kid's going to be a pretty good shooter. I think he's going to shoot the ball pretty consistently yeah. at some point. I'm with you. I think that'll come. We've seen enough to be confident about that. I'm with you. I think Fisdale, as someone who always was saying, play the young guys, play the young guys, I think he actually maybe played Knox a little bit too much, especially a kid that has never played this many games or minutes before. But putting that aside for a second, to me, he has to eventually play power forward. His athleticism does not translate to three. He's not quick enough. He can't get around small forwards. I don't think he's ever going to be able to get around small forwards. And I know people, oh, he's got, you know, he has that good floater game. Is there one other 6'9 player in the entire NBA that shoots a floater? No, because 6'9 <laughs> guys shouldn't have to shoot floaters. You're 6'9. You go above or through people. That's how you do it if you're 6'9. So uh, I think he has to eventually move the power forward. The problem is he has to rebound better to play power forward. Uh, and then I think the shooting plays up a little bit more too. My comp for him was Tobias Harris, who is a straight-line driver, can hit the open shot, and is, I don't know, average on defense. I think that's what Knox's best-case scenario is. And the problem with me that I have with a lot of people that I think are a little bit too overconfident with, it, with him, John, is that there's not always a linear improvement with players. You know, sometimes 19-year-olds get much better from 19 to 23. Others don't. If every NBA player kept getting better and better and better, you wouldn't have the same guy being the 10th guy on the bench for six different teams over the course of a decade. So I, I just think I worry about the ceiling with Knox. I think he has a chance to be a good player. But I would be very, very surprised just seeing the core of his game if he ever made an all-star team. And that's just me. I Well, first of all, I don't think you're wrong. I think after Summer League, um, and I think to a certain extent after the month of December, sure. we're like, all right, this is, you know, the Knicks drafted themselves a, a future all-star here. The, the phrase that I've come to get used to saying about Knox at this point is special scorer. I think he's going to be a special scorer. I don't think we're seeing someone who's going to be a special player, um, which is an important distinction. Yeah, I now, buy that. Obviously still need you know, special scores. And as you said, I think he's going to be able to shoot the ball. The, the stuff around the basket, I, I agree with you. you. You don't love to see floaters there. I think as he... Um, beats up the, the lower half of his body, I think those um, those drives are going to result in, in hopefully more favorable outcomes. Yeah. 
um, as yeah, as he gets older. What I'm so happy you said, and I could not agree more with, is I think he's a long-term four because I could see improve. I mean, God willing, I could see improvement on the defensive end. But I don't know that I'm ever going to be comfortable in a big situation putting him out there guarding, you know, some of the best wings that this league has to offer. And I think he's going to get better. Um, but if you're asking me, you know, to, to note the concern that you had about him playing the four, which is rebounding, what do I think the, the odds are higher at? That he's eventually going to get strong enough in the lower body that he could pull down rebounds at an effective rate? Or that he's going to be good enough and quick enough to defend threes? Yeah. I'll take my chances with him at the four. Um, and the one encouraging sign I thought we saw there towards the end of the year, I mean, I know it was only um, six games in April, but he, he finished the year with a, a rebounding percentage of, of almost 10, um, defensive rebounding percentage in April of 15.1. It was by far his, his best rebounding month of the season. Um, obviously, the games didn't matter at all. Um, but like with any of these kids, you're looking for signs. And I think we saw enough from Knox that, of the concerns that I have moving forward, I, I don't know that I'm too, too worried about him. I, I, but at the same time, expectations definitely need to be tempered. To me, he's a finisher. He's a guy you don't want initiating your possession. I know David Fizzle said, oh, he, you know, he got a lot better in, in, you know, running the pick and roll this year. I want him to be the guy that receives the pass to either finish with the shot or drive and get to the basket and finish. To me, I'm not confident that he's going to be a good initiator of your offense, but I think he's a guy that can finish your possession with the score, if you understand where I'm going with that. And, and that also has to do with the, the probably the most troubling thing from him this year that you would have liked to see some signs of. He really didn't display any kind of vision. No, zero. For, zero. You know, yeah, that just it just wasn't there. You know, and I don't know, is that the type of thing that you, you learn? Um, I think that's you, you, you could get better at it. For sure you could get better at it. But we saw a lot of possessions where he just dribbled with his head down, um, you know, wasn't really always looking for teammates. The one thing that was better towards the end of the year is those kind of wild, out-of-control forays into the paint, mm. those lessons, and at least he learned how to do that with a little bit more control. So, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I don't, I don't think that's, that's going to be his future. The good news is that Mitchell Robinson's freaking awesome. <laughs> I mean, he, it's <laughs> funny. Like, like I, I've been, I put up an article over the weekend, and I'm, I'm going to throw a, a couple of my scenarios at you later on in the show, and, and and have a little bit of fun with it. But the best part was that every time I'm like, all right, well, let's say if the Knicks add Clay Thompson, they add this guy, I can always say, well, then you have Mitchell Robinson blocking a thousand shots, and it really just eliminates a huge hole on any roster for a big man that can defend, switch, and more importantly, protect the paint and block shots better than anybody else in the league. And uh, he's just one of those guys that will help no matter what your roster looks like. And I think those guys in the NBA are very invaluable. But certain guys only can play with certain players, fit in certain spots. There is not a team in this league on this planet that Mitchell Robinson cannot be an effective helper to help you in basketball games as a defensive center. Yeah, and the, you know the really interesting thing with him is we, we've come upon this age in the NBA where um, I feel like on defense the conversation is how how bad or how good is your least switchable player? So obviously yeah. you know mm -hmm. you see teams just designing entire offenses around trying to get their best guy out to the other team's worst guy. Well, in Mitchell Robinson now it's it's someone that arguably you want him out there, maybe not all the time, but occasionally switched on to some of the better shooters and, and guards and, and wing creators in this league because of his propensity to block those shots. Um, I am admittedly, I think, irrationally excited about it. And here's <laughs> the, the reason why is because I get a sense from him, and I'm curious what you think because you're not a fan like I am. No, I am, I'm, but that's okay. <laughs> you, you, you are, but you, you're, you're more objective than me. I could easily admit that. I see him out on the court, and I am like, this is a guy who has some leadership, real leadership qualities in him. Just his demeanor, kind of, you already saw him as a rookie barking orders at, at those around him. He gets really mad when, you know, things are not going the way they're supposed to be going um, on the defensive end. I, I think there's a potential for a guy 
who over the course of his career could develop into like a real locker room presence. What do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I'm with you. I think he can be a better shot blocking version of Tyson Chandler that doesn't get the flu every April when you get into the postseason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a low blow, <laughs> uh, dude. It happened like three straight years. It was crazy. But you know, yeah, what a coincidence. I know. I know it's amazing, right? No, look, I, I think he has the chance to be a, the centerpiece of your defense in every way that word can be described centerpiece locker room on the court off the court I think the kid has a chance to be special I think he will be a multiple defensive player of the year winner and I think he will be an annual inclusion in the all defense first and second team and I think it's not even gonna be close frankly I think next year I would not be surprised if he was already the best defensive center in basketball Oof, that's um you know I think it's in the cards um I think, it, yeah, you know what? We'll see because we're already seeing in these playoffs. I mean, that's one thing I've, I've taken is I've, I've watched that Houston series pretty closely. And you have a guy like Gobert, and he did a little bit better last game, but he struggled. You yeah, know, he can't move. Like he struggled last year. Yeah, he can't move. Um, yeah, no, it's, it, it, you know, the lateral quickness, just it, it's not there. Um, so I think that ceiling is definitely there. I think the most important question for the franchise is just because it's going to factor into how they build the roster, you know, going into next year, is do they think he's ready to be a starting center on, you know, a, a winning playoff, you know, dare I say, contending team? I think we're, I, I, I think we're pretty close, um, you know, and I'm hopeful, um, but he just, I think he does need to get a little stronger in the offseason. Other than that, though, I, I, I love everything about him. Hey, look, if you spend your cast base on two really good players, he's going to have to start because the roster depth is going to be terrible and you're not going to be able to spend resources on another center to work him in slowly. So uh, unless I would find it very difficult to believe he's not going to start next year in one way, shape, or form. And I think that kind of brings us to a good transition here to what's going to happen over the summer. Obviously, neither of us know anything. We don't know who's going where. Where's your confidence level? On Durant at this point, I'm still 50-50 coin flip. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Everyone else seems to think it's going to happen. Just what, what does your gut tell you? My gut tells me that there's a lot of smoke. Yeah. That, you know, it, and we it's, an, it's weird because we're entering, we're entering a new age in where we've kind of been here maybe for a few years where – the idea of player movement and specifically star player movement is it's no longer a thing that is um, the exception to the rule. It's now more the rule than the exception. And two, you know, I, you, listen, you know this as, as well as anyone. This social media atmosphere that we live in now, it didn't exist more than a few years ago. So why do I bring that up in the context of Kevin Durant? There may have been stuff floating around in years past about guys' intentions and things, but we just didn't see it as yeah, much. Good point. Because, it, you know, we didn't live in the Twitter age. Um, now it's here. So is it that it has, has there been cases in the past where things have been, you know, bantered about and, and theorized about this player might move or that player might move, and we just didn't know about it? Is that the difference now, or is there more legitimacy to all of this? I guess the thing that that concerns me is I, I think he's going to leave. I think that much we know, and I would bet yep. I would bet on that happening. But if he really is a different type of guy, right, and he doesn't care about winning as the first priority, which is again, if he's leaving Golden State, there are other reasons for that. Um, that's a bold move. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, leaving Golden State isn't that kind of the, the, the absolutely. The, it's not the it's not the traditional place. So if you're going to be that bold, what stops you from going to Brooklyn and saying, you know what, I don't really care about the tradition that the Knicks have, not winning tradition on the court, but just the, the brand, you know, the name. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go start my own tradition with a cool franchise with a cool, you know, um, coach, GM. I'll be albeit one that goes into the rest of the locker room when he's not supposed to. Um, <laughs> you had to throw that one in there, right? You know, I, I want to 
I want to build a different type of brand. I want to be that player who goes and not goes to a, a franchise that has a history. I want to create the history. What's to stop him from doing that? And I, you know, we don't know the answer. Yeah, I don't think anybody knows what Kevin Durant's thinking. And, and, and my worry here is that this whole thing started with one or two guys, maybe they're acquaintances of Durant, maybe they're friends of Rich Kleinman, that people think are tied in, those guys tell one or two people, then those two people tell six people, then those six people tell 20 people, and this whole thing is really just one big echo chamber. And the initial source on all this stuff that's being echoed around by everybody really isn't anyone that has any idea what they're talking about. And I think that does happen, and it lends to the social media age that you're talking about, where stuff just gets bandied about. I mean, we saw it in a, in a story about the Knicks around the All-Star break when everyone's all of a sudden convinced that James Dolan's selling the team. James Dolan's not selling the team. He's not. And I yeah. think we've seen this so many times. And, and my concern is that this is just something that gets repeated because people really don't know. And there's no way to know because Kevin Durant, as Ian Begley points out all the time, is fickle. And he changes his mind all the time. So to me, that's why I'm, I'm not convinced. Everyone thinks he's coming. Then Kyrie's coming and this and that and this and that. I don't know. I have no idea. I will believe it. When I see that dude holding up a jersey at a press conference yep. next to a giddy James Dolan, and then I'll be like, all right, wow, this is really happening. Great. And if, but I'll say this because of the point that you just made, and we're obviously getting, I'm getting way ahead of myself here. If they do land him, I think it has to be marked as a significant accomplishment for the franchise. What sure. I don't want to have happen is if they do decide, or if they do are able to sign Kevin Durant, I don't want anybody saying, "All right, well, so what? He's you know he was always coming here. You he didn't do you? No, they're going to need to sell him. I truly believe that they're going to need to sell him. I don't know what they're going to sell him on. I don't know if they're going to sell him on you know the idea of playing for the Knicks, the idea of being. You know, the guy that brings a championship home. But that will be a monumental accomplishment if and when it does come to pass. And then I think if they get him, um, I'm far less worried about the other pieces falling into place. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing to me, much more interesting question, and we don't really need to talk about this because I, I, I'm hoping it doesn't come to this, is if he does go elsewhere, what then do the Knicks do? Because we just heard Steve Mills come out last week and basically say, we are not going to sign the wrong guys to big money deals. You've covered this team for a while. Do you believe Steve Mills when he says that, if it came to that? Yes, but I don't know if we know Steve Mills' definition of the wrong guys. I was hoping you would go there because I don't, I don't think we know either. And, and, and I think that's the tricky part. Is it really easy to say, yeah, don't throw a max contract at DeMarcus Cousins? Yeah, that's easy to say. Is it easy to say don't yeah. throw a max contract to Kemba Walker? I don't think that's as easy. So I don't know who Steve – and this is the kind of a question I've asked everybody, and we can get it to it now, and I'll throw some of these scenarios at you. I'll have some fun with it. But there's no thick black line that's going through this free agent class that says, all right, sign, don't sign. You know, the – Go for it completely or don't go for it at all. I mean, those are two binary choices, but nothing in life is that binary. And I think it also changes depending on whether or not you get Zion Williamson. Because if you get Zion Williamson, then all of a sudden, well, maybe you don't have to get two super-duper stars because you have Zion on the roster too. So I do think that it's a very tricky situation if the two big guys— and the only two guys to me that are no-brainer, you sign them no matter what in this class, are Durant and, Ka and, and Kawhi Leonard. Those are the guys that no matter agree. no matter what else happens, one of those guys says yes, you take them. I do not do that with any other player. It depends who else is there, and that's when it gets complicated. It does, and and the interesting thing here, and so I'm I'm a guy who saw what what San Hinky did in Philadelphia, and I was a huge believer in that, you know, because he was right. I mean. It was the given the formula of, of what was what was given to NBA or given the, the circumstances of what were handed to NBA teams. That was the smartest way to go about trying to build a team because it gave you the best chances for a star. Um, now with the new lottery odds, that has lessened a little bit. Yep. As we obviously saw this year, because we're sitting here and there's still a 50 percent chance they end up with the number five pick. The reason I bring that up is this. Um, I don't know for a variety of reasons if this team and this franchise would be able to um, deal with another year like they had. And I specifically mean like 
a, a, a year where the playoffs were not a conversation, you know, back in October or, or November. Right. Um, I think next year there's going to need to be some sign of progress. So what does that have to do with free agency? Well, if the goal next year isn't going to be to tank, and again, I'm making the argument that it should not be. I think they need to try to at least win games next year. Just how detrimental would a contract to a guy like Kemba Walker be? Because, and I've made the argument in the past. I said, I, I said, absolutely, if you don't get Durant, you should try to take on other teams' bad contracts, get some more assets. And I'm still a proponent of that. But easier said but than done. It is. It is easier because a lot of teams have cap room, too. Yep. You know, And it's, it's what gets even more complicated is theoretically the teams who are going to be looking to you know potentially dump contracts are teams that are you know look at the Clippers with with Gallinari that's probably not a great example because Gallinari is actually good he's not a, a contract you dump but you know they have to get rid of that contract if they want to be able to sign two max guys so it gets really really complicated really fast um, so I don't know if well let me ask you if if they strike out on Durant and um, you know Kemba's there and like you know what. I'll come if you give me the full four year max. What would you do? If you don't have, if you did not get the top pick in the draft and it's just Kemba and then you use the other half of, of your cap space to absorb it and grow slowly, I would probably say no to that. Um, and, and, I, and I totally get your point, and it's tough. You don't want to go through another year like this. And the way the owner has spoken in public interviews, it sure as hell sounds like he doesn't want to go through another year like this. And I know he's... Oh, under- he doesn't think it's in the cards at all. No. He, he thinks it's already <laughs> done deal. Absolutely. And so, and look, I think he's done a good job of not meddling. I think he, ha- I think he did let Phil Jackson do his thing, and many times to the franchise's detriment. And I think he has let Steve Mills do his thing, but I also think there's a limit. Just like there was a limit with Phil when he had to step in and let him go, I think our consecutive 15 to 18 win seasons, uh, a line in the sand for Jim Dolan to say your plan's not working, I don't know the answer to that. And and I think I really think it, it comes down to the to the lottery here. And to me, May 14th is still the biggest day of the Knicks offseason, John. It really is because you get to July 1st, that's great, free agents, blah, 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 it's awesome. But whoever you draft could be here for 10 years. And by the time Kevin Durant's retiring, this guy could just be starting his second contract. And I think if you get Zion Williamson, everything becomes easier. If you have Zion Williamson, yeah, go go sign Kemba Walker. Absolutely. Go sign Klay Thompson. Go for it. Absolutely. But if you're looking at Jarrett Culver, then is signing Kemba Walker really moving the needle for you? That's That's the tough part. Because you have to use this money so that it moves the needle. And... One guy of Kemba Walker's status, I mean, we've seen it. Has he made the playoffs in Charlotte more than once or twice? No, he hasn't because the team around him is terrible. He's been there a couple times, but he is, without question, not someone that you could rely on by himself to get you there. I think that the interesting part of it is if Durant doesn't come this summer, and this is the question I don't think I've, I've seen anybody ask yet, if he doesn't come this summer, is that essentially a signal to the organization that no one's no one wants to be the first or or not that no one wants to be the first guy you're not going to get someone on that level to want to be the first guy you got to start somewhere yeah is that a conversation that the organization asks itself or to your point when you know you just said i would not sign Kemba walker by not doing it you give yourself a lot more flexibility in terms of using your cap room for trades possibly, which is something else that Steve Mills referenced last week. Like, hey, it's not just free agency. We, you know, we have all this cash space. There's, there's multiple ways to use it. But I agree with you. Getting Zion makes life a lot easier. What I'm really curious about, and again, getting into the nitty-gritty here, what if they end up with the second pick? Because yeah. there's a lot of people mm-hmm. who I think could talk themselves into R.J. Barrett or even John Moran. And I, I don't have any terribly strong feelings on either of those guys, but are, are you, how high are you on, on either of those two? Jean Moran is, is my second player in this draft. R.J. Barrett scares the hell out of me. I'm not even sure if he's my number three, to be honest with you. Uh, to wow, me, okay. yeah, I, I worry about his ability to create his own shot in, in the NBA. He scored a lot in college, and I probably watched a dozen of his games this year. You know, he goes over and through people. And he's doing it against, you know, 18-year-old college kids. That ain't going to work in the NBA. You got to be able to get separation and get around people, and I worry about that. And and I think 
if you do get John Morant with that second pick, and, and I'm going to throw a scenario out there for you right now. Let's say you get John Morant, sure. right, and, and he's the second overall pick in the draft. Jimmy Butler and Chris Middleton say, we'll both come play for you. And you can roll out a starting lineup of Morant, Butler, Middleton, Mitchell Robinson, and then Kevin Knox or whoever you want to sign with your room exception. That's a pretty darn good team and one that you can move forward with. So how does that move the needle for you? Oh, um, well, let me start by saying this. I, I, think, I think the thing that Morant and Barrett, although they're very different players, I think the thing they have in common, very high ceiling with very low floor. And when I say low floor, I mean specifically not that they're not going to be able to put up numbers because I think both of those guys will absolutely put up numbers at the next level. But will they be numbers that lead to winning? Yeah, um, and that's why. Yeah, that's why I think the, the scenario you pitched is dangerous because even if Morant does turn into that guy who who you know becomes a player that helps you really win games eventually, um, I don't know if that's happening next year. And the name, the other name you threw out there in that scenario is Jimmy Butler. And you said R.J. Barrett is a guy that scares you. Jimmy Butler is a guy that scares me. No, that's fair. Because I agree with you. He, we, you know, he, yeah, me too. You know, we just because we've seen it go wrong now a couple times, and you know, I don't. I try to read the tea leaves coming out of Philadelphia in terms. You know, it it, it seems to me like he's they're they're maybe not sold on him, or maybe he's not sold on them, or something. Something seems to be up there. So you know, I just. But then again, it goes back to the first thing we we talked about, David Fisdale. Why did you get David Fisdale for this organization? You get David Fisdale to coach guys and be the, the player whisperer for guys like Jimmy Butler. That's supposed to be the benefit of having a guy like Fizz because he can get through to players where, let's say, you know, another coach can't. So, I don't know. If, if you're giving me that scenario, would I do it? Oh, goodness. I need to have a shot first, at least. At least one, maybe two. <laughs> okay, well, how about this? What if I take Jimmy Butler out and I put Clay Thompson in there? What if it's Ja, Clay, oh, oh, and I- Middleton? I'm all in on on Thompson. I would, to, to me, Thompson's a guy that you're going to need a like a guy not, not Thompson specifically, but that type of guy. I would, I would almost think about including him in that that top tier of Durant and and uh, Kawhi Leonard. Mm. Not because he's the level of player that those guys are. Obviously, he's not. He doesn't create that kind of offense. But in terms of just the stability of what you're getting. Um, you think there's any chance, though, that he leaves Golden State? I'd be very surprised, especially since Durant's leaving. I almost think those three guys are like, boy, let's get this moody SOB out of here so we can go back to what we were doing before he showed up. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree with that. And uh, he seems to be a West Coast guy. Yeah. Um, so, you, you, you know, you'd think if he went anywhere, maybe he would, he would go to one of the L.A. teams. Um it, it really, you know what this whole conversation, though, speaks to? Up until now, and I've been a, a huge proponent of everything that Perry has done, the consequences of his moves thus far have not really been there. Small potatoes. Yep. You know, he, you know, he's a guy that wanted out. You were facing a, a deadline in a week. It's like, all right, you made, and they made a good deal, um, you know, for, for, for what their, their purposes were. Now the consequences start to get real, and now there's some real, real, real downside to the actions that you make. So, you know, for as wonderful a job as Perry has done since he's, since he's been here, we're, I think, about to find out um, a lot more about his acumen because he's going to have a lot of balls in the air at the same time, you know, with the draft and with free agency. And um, it's going to be interesting. I, I know that, and I'm sure it's going to be a busy uh Busy couple of weeks on Twitter there between the end of June and the beginning of July. Oh, what are you kidding me? And I think the one guy we haven't mentioned too, and I think this is part of the equation as well, because you can, you know, get Zion, maybe, maybe not. You can sign one free agent. Well, maybe you trade for a guy. And there's a scenario here where the Knicks might be able to put the best package together for Anthony Davis, even if they do not get the rights to Zion Williamson. And to me, I will be very hesitant to trade Zion for Anthony Davis unless I'm adding him to a combination of, you know, Kawhi and Kemba or Durant and Irving or whatever, then, yeah, I think about it because you're in a win-now mode, right? But if you don't have that situation, I'd be very hesitant to trade Zion for Anthony Davis. So let's start there. If you get that first pick, do you put it on the table for Davis? And in what scenario do you put it on the table for Davis? The only – well, so the, the complicating factor here, obviously, is 
is just with the money. If they sign Durant, or if they intend on signing Durant, and whether it's Irving or, or Walker or Clay or whoever, a, a seven to nine year max guy, the only way they'd be able to make a deal for Davis is essentially if they traded, you know, everybody on the roster um, that's left mm-hmm. after after those two max slots. So. To me, the only way I do that is if Durant basically sits at the negotiating table and is like, all right, um, I'll come here, um, but you not only do I want a running mate, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll get that running mate to come aboard, but I want you guys to complete the Davis trade. And, you know, this is the NBA. Everybody talks. Everybody knows what's, what's going on. If they, if they land the first pick, I'm sure that will be in the cards. So if he, if he makes that demand, I would do it. Um, other than that, I don't know that there's a scenario in which I would trade Zion for AD just because, like you said, Zion, it's, it's nine years. It's nine years, and I know the ceiling is far more uncertain than Davis, who I think is going to be the best player in the league for a period of time now, or him and Giannis, uh, you know, one and two. Uh, it's tough. I think that the more interesting one for me is if you take – Durant out of the equation. Is there any scenario where you would trade Zion for AD um, without an assurance? Well, let me ask you this: If you got an assurance from from Davis that he would stay, would that change the equation for you? Well, I wouldn't make a trade for him. I wouldn't make a trade for him regardless, unless he guarantees that he's going to stay. Now, okay. obviously, obviously, I know he can't put pen to paper because of the rules and he wants to maximize his salary. I get all that. But I would need some type of verbal guarantee. I cannot trade the amount of assets the Knicks are going to trade for that guy without getting some sort of you know, promise that he's going to stay here for another four-year, five-year deal, whatever it would be. Yeah, I, I actually – so, again, that gets into the, the stuff that lies ahead for Perry. What scenario would you consider trading for Durant if his people say to you, we like New York. We like the idea of New York. We are, you know, thrilled about playing for New York. We think it's someplace that, you know, Anthony wants to, you know, could spend the rest of his career. We're not going to tell you right now that we are, you know, definitely going to stay. In that scenario, is there anything, is there any, is there any real package, like in terms of a package that actually has a chance to get him that you'd put on the table? And I, I have a tough time seeing it because you want to talk about LOL Knicks? You want to talk about classic Knicks? That's the classic move, to give up stuff for a guy who will not give you the guarantee. Yeah, look, you're right. Um, And the funny thing about it, there is a good chance the Knicks, and maybe this sounds crazy, even if they don't get the top pick in the draft, there's a chance, depending on how the rest of these playoffs go, that they still might be able to put the best package together for him. And, And I'll explain why. If the Celtics get run over by Toronto, right, and they lose in like five games, and Kyrie says, I ain't coming back, to me... That takes the Celtics almost out of the sweepstakes for Davis because they are almost back to their slow build mode, right? Because if you add Davis to that roster and you're trading Tatum and Jalen Brown in that deal, what are you left with in Boston? You're not left with a lot to build around him, right? So I think if Irving decides to leave Boston, I'm almost taking them out of the Davis mix. I don't think they're they're a team that makes a lot of sense for him. And then... Would Davis be willing to sign an extension in Denver? Would Denver move a bunch of their good assets for Davis without a guarantee? I don't know that. So if you're sitting there and the Knicks show up with the second overall pick in the draft and they show up with Kevin Knox and they show up with Frank Nielakina, they show up with Dennis Smith Jr., they show up with two future ones that they got from Dallas or their own future one in one of the Dallas picks, whatever you want to do, and you go to New Orleans, look, this is your best offer. And if I'm the Knicks and I'm not trading Zion, I'm just trading the second overall pick, or you know, an R.J. Barrett or a Morant, and Knox, who I'm not that bullish on, Neil Aquino, the team's trying to move anyway, and Dennis Smith Jr. and a couple of picks, even without a guarantee, I think that one might be worth the risk. Um, I think it's going to come down to a lot about how David Griffin and however you know whoever he ends up hiring to help him you know run the organization there. Um, how they would feel about a guy like uh, Barrett and Morant? Because I'm, I'm, don't you get the sense that the, there's not really a consensus about those guys around the league as, as of right now? Yes, I agree with that. Yep. Yeah. So I think it's going to come down to that. Um, I also think you know, and and Zach Lowe has kind of hinted to this on on podcasts that he's done over the last several months. I don't think we should rule out some 
team, some surprise team emerging, um, you know, as a as a Davis suitor, and basically trying to do what what Toronto did with Kawhi this year mm-hmm. and say, you know what, maybe we believe in our culture enough that we are going to you know make a real offer. And if you're David Griffin, you know, I think what you need to come out of this with for New Orleans, you need to come out of it with a sure thing, which is why bringing it back to the Knicks, the reason I think it could get dicey is if you're Griffin, how are you doing a Davis trade without Mitchell Robinson yeah. in return? I don't, yeah, like, I hear you. Do that? Probably not. And frankly, if, yeah. with, with, if you're the Knicks without a guarantee, you can't trade Mitchell you Robinson. You can't. So I think it's I think it's tricky. I think they will. I think it's naive to think that they won't have conversations. Um, the other part of it that's a little bit interesting to me, and I wonder how much this is going to factor in. You know, David Griffin was wasn't he on a plane here to potentially become the next GM, and you know that that fell south for reasons that we kind of had some reporting on. It maybe had to do with him not getting the power that he wanted. It maybe had to do with the fact that they, you know, signed Tim Hardaway Jr. to the deal <laughs> while he was, you know, in the process of interviewing. Is Does that make, uh, you know, any potential conversations a little dicier? It, it's it's going to be interesting. And I, I, I am really curious. I think the Davis, the Davis thing is going to be the first domino to fall, and I think it's going to dictate probably more than we realize how a lot of the rest of the summer is going to go in the NBA. You're absolutely right. Lottery night's going to dictate it the most because whoever has that first pick automatically yeah. becomes the favorite for any trade. And then whenever the Davis trade happens, and I think, frankly, what happens with the Celtics in the playoffs? I mean, I think Kyrie Irving more so, and it's and it's funny, in, in an offseason where you have two superior players in Durant and Leonard as free agents, I think Kyrie Irving and his decision is going to drive this whole thing. If he decides to leave Boston all bets are off because I'm not sure that Durant's going to be the Pied Piper in all this, right? I think it's going to be Kyrie that recruits somebody with him to go somewhere. I think that's I more his it. personality than Durant. So I think Irving's really going to be the the quote-unquote Dwayne Wade-style alpha. You know, he put that whole thing together in Miami. I think that's going to sure. be Kyrie Irving this offseason. And if I could just jump on that point really quick, that's what really, again, could make this so interesting because if you believe that Brooklyn really is bought into D'Angelo Russell, well, you know, Russell and and Irving don't make a whole lot of sense to me, at least in terms of, not that they're not both great players, not that they maybe couldn't play together, but is that really your best um, allocation of assets, so to speak? I, I, I don't think so. Do we really think he's going to go back and, and play with LeBron at the Lakers with you know the uncertainty given their you know coaching situation and everything? I, I don't know about that. The Clippers have Shea Gilgis Alexander at point guard. I think they, I mean he's been great. <laughs> you could argue that the Knicks, he's the one guy that the Knicks maybe bypassed that's going to really come back to bite them. Yeah. Um, so what's left? You know, um, where else does if he decides he wants to leave Boston for whatever reason? You know, he's. I think almost there's a better argument for him um, in terms of what's most likely to come to to come to New York, and then um, you know, and, and how much is that? Uh, like you alluded to, is is Durant waiting for somebody else to come first before he comes? Does he want to be the first guy? Again, the, we have no idea what the answers to these questions are. It's you know, but it, it is interesting. And then one more note on the Kawhi thing. I want to. I'm curious what you think. Do you think Kawhi's decision in any way matters based on how Toronto does in the playoffs this year, or do you think he's like, I'm, I'm going to the West Coast regardless of if you know, we win it all? It's a really good question. I'll go back to Durant's point earlier. I think if Durant comes to New York, he's going to come to New York regardless of what the Knicks pitch him. I think he's coming here for the same reasons LeBron went to L.A. And if anyone wants to argue these crazy Laker fans that LeBron went to L.A. for basketball reasons, they're lying to themselves. And I think any Knicks fan that convinces themselves that Durant comes here because of basketball reasons, I think they're lying to themselves too, to be honest with you. I think if he comes here, it's because of the other stuff, and the basketball comes with it. Uh, Kawhi's a tougher question. Does anybody know what the hell Kawhi Leonard's thinking? I mean, that dude doesn't say <laughs> anything to anybody. I certainly don't. No one seems to. I mean, uh, it seems like the West Coast more of a place. I mean, why would – I don't understand why everybody's down on Toronto. They have great fan oh, base. It's It's a great place to go. It's a great city. You have awesome fans. you got a good basketball team. 
I mean, and frankly, the city seems to fit Kawhi's personality. So, look, I'm not, I can't get inside that dude's head. I didn't understand how he handled things last year with this whole quad injury either. But, boy, uh, if, if I said I know where he's going, it would be a complete shot-in-the-dark guess. I have no idea. Yeah, same here. And, and I think, you know, that's it, it makes it interesting because if he decides to stay, that's, you know, that's a, a chess piece that, that just gets off the table because, um, you know, it's it's then the Clippers. You know, they're they're going to spend that money, and someone good will go there. Sure. I, I believe so. If Kawhi is not occupying that spot, it's not. And if he leaves, it's not like someone's going to take his spot in Toronto because they're you know just they're they're not a guy. I don't think they're for as wonderful as they've done, and I think they're arguably the best run organization in the sport. I don't think they're a you know reasonable destination for someone to come and sign there. You know, this summer. Um, you know, we'll see. Every crazy things could happen. The one thing I do want to say is I do agree with your point on Durant. He's not coming here for basketball reasons, and I think he's coming here for his own desires. That said, I do think they do need to convince him that it will be, you know, it'll be a place where he could do enough winning, um, and the basketball part of it will be good enough for him to, you know, um, for, for it not to be a cloud, so to speak, over the things that he maybe has more of an interest in. Yeah, I think they have to convince him that they're not a cesspool of incompetence, which is what I think their <laughs> reputation well, around well, the league that, is. That. Yeah, no, seriously, I, I think it's a very low bar, what they have to convince him of, that it's just not going to be fair. a drama-filled, you know, crap show where where the team can't get out of their own way. All right, you ready to do some rapid fire before we say goodbye? Let's do it. All right, rapid fire. Am I crazy for thinking I might rather have Kawhi Leonard with Kemba Walker than Kevin Durant with Kyrie Irving? No, you're not crazy. Why am I not crazy? Um, stability, uh, stability of personalities. Um, I, it's a weird scenario for me to talk about because I, I just don't, I don't think um, Kawhi is the type of guy who would come to this type of media market. I, just, I, I agree. Don't, I don't see it. Um, that being said, again, talking about guys that scare you, Kyrie Irving, if it's the personality that doesn't scare you, it's the knees that, that scare you. And it's, you know, if it's with Durant, you, you take that risk every day of the week and twice on Sunday. But if you're asking me if I could have, if I could have Kawhi Leonard and then a New York guy like Kemba Walker, and I, I think Durant, of the four players that we just mentioned, I think Durant is, is definitely the best one because he's kind of an offense unto himself. But, you know, Walker can make up for a little bit of the shot creation that maybe you're losing from Durant to Kawhi. And by the way, Kawhi's a pretty damn good shot creator in his own right. I mean, when he goes ISO in, in Toronto, those possessions have been very successful. Um yeah, I, I don't think you're crazy at all. I don't know if I would, if I would say yes, but I'm certainly not crazy. Kawhi's also younger than Durant, too, and you would save That's money true. on signing him, and you can have some money left over to maybe retain some of the young guys or, or, or do something else with it. All right, here we go. Knicks pick fourth or fifth in the draft. They get no second superstar, but Kyrie Irving says he'll sign here. Do you sign him? Oh, why are you doing this to me, John? <laughs> See, this is why it's interesting. Uh my gut feeling is no. Uh, I wouldn't either. My gut feeling is no. You, you would say no as well? I don't. Look, Kyrie Irving was moody and had an attitude winning 50 games in Boston. How the hell do you think he's going to act when they win 35 with him and nobody else next year? Yeah. And the other part of it for me is you're, if, you're, if you're doing that, then I don't think – then Dennis Smith Jr. I, I let me just say this: I don't think Dennis Smith Jr. wants to be a backup to Kyrie Irving next year. So then you're looking at all right. Well, you're probably going to try to move Smith at this point. You're getting I don't know 45 cents on the dollar for him. I would rather take my chances that Smith could grow as a player, um, trust the development staff with a full summer with him, could start to make some real improvements. So no, I, I wouldn't do that. Yes or no, does Dennis Smith Jr. in his NBA career ever make an NBA All-Star game or an NBA All-NBA team? Um, All-NBA team, I'll say no. Um, All-Star team, hmm. Can I get, I'll give you a caveat. I think if 
I will, I will give a vote of confidence to the New York Knicks development staff. I will say if he's the starting point guard on the Knicks next season, which doesn't, which may mean they did not have a successful summer, I think he will make an all-star team because um, I think he's found the coach that is the perfect coach for him. That said, if they sign Irving and they, and they wind up, well, I, mean, I won't even go even further than that. If they sign Irving, I, I, my answer would be no. Fair. My answer would be no in general. Um, what are the Knicks willing to take in a return in a potential Frank Nielakina trade? What's their line where what they're getting back is worth it? And what's their line for the like, eh, boy, this return is so bad we have to keep him even though we might want to move him? Uh, we we could do a 45-minute podcast yeah. on that question, so I'll, I'll try to... You know, because it gets into the issues of his ceiling as a player in a vacuum versus his ceiling as a player in this system, which does not seem to be one that, that well suits him. So I'll, I'll keep it short, and I'll say um, I think if they could get a late first-round pick, um, maybe even like – so the Suns are going to have the 30 um, – I think the Suns are going to have the 32nd pick in the draft. Um they're apparently enamored with John Morant, but that's a separate conversation. Yeah, I saw that. I think it's something you have to look you have to look at, and I say that, and it, it kills my soul to say that because I'm a huge believer in Frank Nilakina, and I do still believe in the right situation that he could be a, a special player. Um, there's a part of me that wants to believe that all the stuff we've heard this year in terms of their lack of belief in him is all you know, it, it's all it's not real. But I, I, I'm. I'm naive. I'm not that naive. <laughs> I'm with you. Look, if if he if he can only be a 35, 36% three-point shooter, if he doesn't get better That's at any, he needs to be. if he doesn't get better at anything else, literally anything else, he can be a starting yeah. caliber player on a good team. And he shot 30 what 2% as a rookie, I think something like that. So, he doesn't have a ton of a way to go, but this year has was just as utter of a disaster as you could possibly imagine. A very quick note on Frank. If you take out the stretch, uh, if you basically take out the month of November, for the rest of his year, he was actually a 30, I want to say he was a 36% three-point shooter. He, just, he couldn't hit anything for a month. The second thing, and I was doing some research for a piece, I noticed this. His last, his January, so basically his last eight games before he suffered the, the groin injury, which you know ended his season, the Knicks had a, I think it was a 113 offensive rating, and mm-hmm. the I think it was 151 minutes he had on the court. Those last eight games, again, his individual numbers were not great during that time, but there was kind of, sort of, small signs that maybe he was turning the corner. So, no, yeah, look, I'm definitely not. John, look, up on him yeah, yet. you're absolutely right. By the way, and his off his plus minus net rating was so bad at the start of the year. And I think that was the oh, big it was disappointment. Good. It was awful. But if you really looked at that number as you got through January and even through you know some of December, that number was slowly getting better and better and better and better. But there just weren't enough reps for it to, to get back to any sort of respectable level. All right, final one for you. And this is just for fun. I'm not going to hold you to it. Who will be the, <laughs> you can hold me to it. It's fine. Who will be the Knicks starting five on opening night next season? What do I think will actually be the Knicks starting five yeah. next season? Yeah. Well, I don't think it's I don't think it's like above a fifty percent chance of happening, or maybe even a twenty five percent chance. But if you're asking me, which I think is the most likely, yes, of the you know many scenarios, um, I will go with. Uh, I'll go with Kyrie, Dotson, um, Durant, Knox. And Mitchell Robinson. Oh, just throw Zion in there. Have fun with it. If you go in Kyrie and Durant, just throw <laughs> Zion in there too. What the hell? Um, you know, fourteen percent is fourteen percent. It is what it is. <laughs> and I, I, if if the, I'll just throw this last part in there. If they, I think by the draft, I have a feeling they're going to have a sense of whether or not. Um, July is going to go well for them. Right. In which case, I would if they do think they're going to get both guys um i would definitely see them probably drafting like in rj hunter maybe even trading down to try to get snag hunter um you know i know uh the clark kid from gonzaga positionally isn't a perfect fit on them but just right. you know more of a win now guy 
And um, Or maybe they stay where they're at if they don't get the first pick and take Culver because that's another guy you figure maybe could come in and, and help them next year. Yeah, if, if, if they do draft Hunter, by the way, I think he would start a power forward over Knox just because of his defensive oh, ability. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. John, one more time, tell people where they can find your stuff on Twitter and for Knicks Film School. Um, well, you just said it. So I'm at uh, JC Macri NBA on Twitter. If you're not following me, I've been told I'm a good Twitter follow. I don't know what it is to be a good Twitter follow, but I listen to the people who say that. So, uh, yeah, you can find me on there. Obviously, the website, um, nickfilmschool.com. And then, yeah, the podcast, um, I'm sure there are going to be people listening to it on our feed right now. But if you're one of the people listening to it not on our feed, um, it's just the Knicks Film School podcast. We're on iTunes. We're on um, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, all that stuff. And before I let you go, I just want to thank you because it's a, it is a real skill to kind of spice up the conversation about this team, but doing so in a way where you're not just being ridiculous. <laughs> you have done that all year. And I, I – as you know, I don't always agree with your takes. Which is fine. But your takes are always responsible and they're respectable. Um, and I just I think you made you made it a, a much more entertaining year for me and for, for fans everywhere. So we owe you a debt of gratitude. Well, John, I appreciate it. And if Nick fans come to my feed and you get depressed, if you want to feel a little bit better about yourselves, go to John's feed. And <laughs> he's slightly more positive than I am. John, really good stuff. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us in this edition of The Bank Shot and doing this dual podcast with me. Absolutely, man. Hopefully it won't be the last time. Absolutely. All right, folks, once again, if you're listening on WFAN.com, that's great. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes or Radio.com, wherever you get your podcast. For Jonathan Macri, I am John Schmelk. Thanks so much for being part of the show. We'll see you next time. Adios.